So we did get a complaint on the last podcast that we didn't have a cold open. And one of our favorite listeners said, I felt so robbed. So Anne, we have to do a cold open this time. Okay, we'll make it happen. Today is Friday, April 21st, 2023, time for episode 189 of the Barnhart Podcast. All kinds of things in motion here, uh, and you're between parking spots, which actually, that's a big reason why there's been a delay in the podcast, and somebody sent us a little meme with uh, Wiley Coyote with the pleading for a new podcast episode. Uh, we did a sound check the other day with Ann's audio setup, and I was so excited that I've, I get to finally use the M1 Mac Mini that I bought for doing this, and then I realized tonight when I was doing my pre-flight checks that... Now I remember why I haven't switched to it. The software for the M1 doesn't quite exist there yet. So all kinds of stuff that's um, in, in motion. But I think we're figuring out and remembering how to do this podcasting thing. And, and just to be sure, we brought a friend along as well. But Anne, how are things going? Well, um, really, really good. Um, what a Super Nerd alerted to is that, alluded to, is that my move is done. Everything is moved except me, if that makes any sense. And when I say everything, I mean absolutely everything, including computers and microphones and everything else. So everything is in the new parking spot except my physical person. So so just uh, just waiting, circling, orbiting as it were. But we have a we have a stopgap solution that seems to be working. This is our first episode with the stopgap solution. And so um, hopefully it sounds it's hopefully it sounds serviceable. I mean, as as I've said many times, I used to do uh, give cattle marketing commentary for um, AM radio stations on my cell phone while driving down the interstate. And so I'm I am not averse to poor sound quality. But of course, super nerd is extremely averse to sound poor quality and and that's why we have him and god bless him and um, amongst many other reasons being just the, the producer of the whole thing but one of his jobs is to um that i delegate responsibility to is to make sure that sound quality is up to snuff and where it should be so hopefully this is good enough and it might be one or two episodes yet while i'm still in the stopgap situation so we'll play it by ear but we'll we'll make it work well, it's been a while since I've had to do any kind of uh, EQ and adjustment to your audio uh, ever since you got the microphone that we nicknamed the Dark Chocolates. Uh, it, yeah. I haven't had to do anything to your audio, but I remember previous to that, I used to have to do a bass boost to it so that in your words, you didn't sound so girly. I'll just shrill. I just, I, ugh, ugh, I can't stand shrill. And I, unfortunately, you can't control the timbre of your own voice, but I am a chick. So shrillness, shrillness happens. Shrillness happens. Well, I will see about what kind of editing I need to do to this one afterwards. But uh, somebody who whose voice I don't think we need to edit is uh, Nurse Claire, and she's along for the ride. Um, you had your uh, requisite two-drink minimum now? No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we it's had not... red wine kind of night. <laughs> what was that? I smell, uh, yeah. <laughs> what letter does that start with? Well, if we hadn't already done our cold opening, that would have been it. I don't know. Can we do two cold openings? I think we should try. Well, this one's pretty close to the opening, so we'll just leave this one alone as it is. Okay. Okay. Nurse Claire, how are you, dear? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, if you don't have a drink, you know, if you... 
Yeah, if you don't have a drink, you'd cry. I mean, things are continuing to march along. And, you know, what can I say? It's just an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll let you... Um... We'll let you unload, and we'll let you uh, we'll let you do some talk therapy through some of it, just to tell the <laughs> listenership what 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 exactly is going on. If you if you get into a horrible fiery car crash, is it actually safe to go to a hospital, or you know those kinds of things? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, where would you like me to start? <laughs> I, I mean, if you get into a terrible car crash and you need to go to the hospital, your biggest fear should be getting a blood transfusion, which I think we talked about on the last podcast. But, you know, the um, American Red Cross still maintains that they don't delineate vaccinated versus unvaccinated blood. And, you know, everybody continues in denial um, about everything that's happening related to the vaccines. Um, people are still getting remdesivir believe it or not, still getting remdesivir, um, which I think if you're a provider, whether you're a physician or a nurse or whatever, and you're administering remdesivir at this point, you should be criminally liable. Um, yep. What else? The trans agenda continues, you know, marching forward. Um, the, at least in my neck of the woods, the hospital that I work in, the number of trans cases is certainly picked up. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about anything. The FDA, um, earlier this week released an amendment to its, um, EUA for the vaccines, uh, the emergency use authorization, and they've, uh, I guess withdrawn maybe would be the correct word of uh, the monovalent vaccines. They are no longer available. That would be the original vaccines that came out in December of 2020. Those are now gonzo. Um, only the bivalent shots, which I think were released in September, or maybe it was August. Um, and we talked about them. They were the bivalent booster, bivalent meaning um, covering two strains. Uh, so those those shots were supposed to cover for the original strain of COVID and then the Omicron variant. Um, those bivalent boosters that, that we talked about that were only tested on mice before they were administered to humans, um, even there, there's a physician from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia who's a huge vaccine proponent. This guy sits on the FDA advisory panel, and even he was opposed to the approval of the bivalent booster because it, there was just no human trials. I mean, we had no idea what this was going to yeah. do. Well, now that's the COVID shot, if you are an unvaccinated person and you, for whatever reason, decide you want to get the vaccine and you show up at a clinic or doctor's office now, this is what you're going to get. Um, so it's it doesn't make any sense. Um, there's no science, none to any of this, mm -hmm. as per usual. I mean, the entire COVID debacle has been that way no scientific basis for masking, no um, data to support the, the six foot 
social distancing. No, nothing about any of this has been scientific. So that's just, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, so I can link to the FDA document in the show notes for people to read and laugh. It's it's so pathetic what passes for um, medicine and these organizations are at this point a joke. They have been for a long time, but yeah. it's, it's, you know, it, it went from LOL, laugh out loud to rolling on the floor laughing out loud. Just joke. Yeah. It's funny as still occasionally we'll get an email from someone sending, saying, can, can you send me any research or any documentation that's been done on this ivermectin that you're, that you're recommending? Like, oh, oh, sweetie, no, 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 no. And there's oh not going to be any more, there's not going to be any more legitimate medical research until there's a massive war and a cultural reset. That's just over. Well, and si since you brought up ivermectin, along similar lines, vitamin D. Um, if anyone's yeah. been paying attention to social media recently, there have been some attacks on vitamin D, um, people saying, oh, that doesn't really work. You know, that's that's a wives tale. That's outdated. And Canada, surprise, surprise, has now banned the over the counter sale of vitamin D. Vitamin D in Canada is now no that is now available only by prescription and in the united states you've got these little um, keyboard warriors that have taken to social media to try to discredit um, vitamin d that is a lie um mm -hmm. anybody listening to this podcast needs to know that there is a mountain of literature and data to support the use of vitamin d3 and k2 going back decades um so don't be fooled by this and and you're probably going to get emails from people who are going to present you with these <laughs> propaganda this agitprop that's going around about vitamin D. So there's all kinds of misinformation circulating. And it's, it's conscious. I, I don't know. It's malicious. It's it's not yes. just that it's people who are who are grossly ill informed or anything like that. And I'll give you I'll give you the the prime example of this that probably everybody listening to this podcast remembers. Do you remember when there was a phase? for I don't know how long it lasted, four, six weeks, something like that, where there were stories coming out that emergency rooms were being absolutely overrun with people mm -hmm. who were fatally overdosing on, on ivermectin um, horse yes. paste or ivermectin, um, what I take, the liquid injectable version, which I drink. Mm -hmm. um, th this, this was, it, it was, there was some, and the it was, was run by mainstream. It was run by, yeah, yeah, Rolling Stone magazine. Um, I think CNN. Yeah, it was totally, yes, totally so, mainstream. I don't know if he was a nurse, claimed to be a nurse practitioner or something, and he claimed that he was out in some in some um, in some hospital or some emergency room in Oklahoma somewhere, and it was picked up and carried, and they all ran with it. 
we're, we're being overrun with people overdosing on ivermectin. Yeah. I don't think anyone has ever overdosed on ivermectin. I don't know. No. I don't know how you could even possibly do that. We've talked about this. If you're if you're using the the livestock or the animal forms of this stuff, we've talked about this. If you were using the horse paste, I think if you got any before you got anywhere near overdosing on it, that you would, you would barf from the yeah. carrier. And it's the same with the injectable version. You would barf from having that much of the carrier in your stomach before you could even approach the toxicity levels. And remember, we talked about this. Um, you explained to everybody how whenever, when people used to be doing science, one of the first things they would do with animal experimentation is they would figure out what was what was the lethal dose of this stuff. Yes. And I mean, this is, mm -hmm. this is one of the arguments why animal research is essential and good because you do need to know what what the lethal toxicity level doses of anything that you're dealing with because theoretically it seems to me that you could you could overdose on anything i mean people can overdose on water for heaven's sake you need to know where these lines and thresholds are and what you're dealing with and naturally you can't be doing research like that on human beings in any way shape manner or form so yeah, do they do it on bunny rabbits? Yes, they do it on bunny rabbits. Grow up. Um, I just ate rabbit the other day, so you know, that's what that's <laughs> kind of what they're there for. We have dominion over the yeah. earth, and they're there to serve us, and we're here so that we can know, love, and serve God in this world, and be happy with Him in the next. And they're not. They're they're not rational intellects like we are. So yes, it is it is good and just and right and moral. And the right thing to do to use animal testing research to find out what toxicity levels are. And I looked up the ivermectin toxicity level. And I mean, the amount was just absolutely astronomical. It was astronomically high how much of this stuff you would have to take before you get even close to any sort of overdose. And it, it was obvious from absolutely the very beginning that whatever this sodomite nurse or whatever he pretended to be saying that he was in Oklahoma being overrun by people in an emergency ward overdosing on ivermectin, it was obvious that it was a complete bald-faced observable lie. It, it just instantly, instantly. And again, what this goes to, and we've talked about this and we'll probably keep talking about it more because it is the dynamic of the day is that sin makes you stupid and one of the one of the you know graces that you get especially from the sacrament of confirmation is the gift of counsel which is the gift to be able to look at any sort of a situation and size it up quickly and accurately i mean that's that's a very non-theological way to describe what the supernatural gift of counsel that comes from the holy spirit at the sacrament of confirmation is but it's just it's able to size things up fast and and be right you know and um people humanity has lost this i mean to a, to a stunning degree and every time you end up and nurse claire i'm sure it's the same with you and and super nerd and dr beep and everyone else whenever you end up sitting down having a conversation with anyone including people who are not 
in the church, not practicing the faith, people who have gotten maybe one or two of the earlier doses of the death injection, but have, but have woken up and realized what happened, Every, everybody says the same thing, and that is that they are terrified by how quickly such a massive percentage of the human population on Earth fell for this. That's, that's the thing that, sh the, that is probably the most terrifying, is how fast and how easily such a massive percentage of people just went all in on this thing, and how many people were wrong. And if you ask me, um, do I do I judge people by how how wrong they were about all of this? Yeah, actually, I do. And the ones that I judge the hardest about who were just violently wrong about this early on are like online trad. Catholics, professional Catholics. There's one woman who wrote for years and years for LifeSite who's nuts. She was she was going after people. Um, she was demanding that every church on the planet be closed and then accusing people who objected to this of being psychopaths who wanted to murder old, old people. Um, it, you are a psychopath if you think that Eucharistic adoration is... Um, is something that you should be desire desirous of. You should be locking yourself in your house. And I mean, it's obvious that she's severely mentally ill because she was saying, you know, who who, who wants to leave their house anyway? Leaving if outside of your house, that's where all the bad is. You should want to stay in your house. You should want to be under house arrest. She she was nuts. I'm not going to say her name, but I think. Uh, she she wrote for Life, Life Site News for years and years, but hasn't for a while. They fired her. There's an interesting parallel that comes to mind when you mention this about how did everyone and so many people uh, go from not, you know, basically, basically how did they all go, take the whole story hook, line and sinker? And it makes me think about the Catholic Church and Vatican II. We were all Catholic before Vatican II, but then again, were we? I mean, you have to be to, to accept the whole uh, COVID-19 story, you have to be uh, scientifically deficient in your understanding of how things work. And you have to be overly yeah. trusting in the people who are the talking heads on, on your, your news media that what they're saying is true and, and the people in government. Think about that with regard to the church and Catholics who just took Vatican II hook, line, and sinker. Oh, well, the, the, the bishops and the cardinals said this is what we need to do. The, the pope says, you know, this is all good. And this is what we need to do. Okay. And how few resisted it. I, but there's, there's a very good analogy there to be teased out. But what I'm focusing on more, I think, I think you analogize, um, well, no, here's what you do. Vatican II is the Corona scam in general. It's like the first phase. It's the 2020 phase. It's the first lockdown. And then the Novus Ordo mass is what you analogize to the death injections. Cause that's the two phases of this. There was first there was the house arrests in 2020, um, and then there's the inject yourself with poison phase, and that's I think the council itself is the first phase in 2020 analogy, and then the um, the death injections, the sterilant, heart damaging, immune system destroying, <laughs> you know, Fauci AIDS um, um, death injections. That's the Novus Ordo mass. And you're right. It's at, everybody just sat there and took it. 
So something something was already horrifically wrong um, in in the post-war era, in in the post-Christian, in the Christian West, um, because the fact that everybody just sit there and took it is um, is uh, it's astounding and terrifying. You're absolutely right. The other person is over in Italy, um, but he shows up like on Rorate. They translate his stuff and is Roberto Di Mattei. Roberto Di Mattei is to this day was browbeating people. It is your moral obligation to get injected with this, blah, 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 blah. And again, he's over in Italy, but it's, it's all the same. It's all the same garbage. And I, I marvel about Professor Roberto Di Matteo. I wonder if he has, has he confessed what he has done? He certainly made no public repentance for browbeating people and publicly writing pieces and giving interviews and, and echoing the words of anti-Pope Bergoglio and saying people are morally obliged to inject themselves with this obvious poison. I mean, it took, how, how quick? It, it took just not very long at all for the, the historical reportage on Moderna and everybody knew Moderna had never brought a single product to market, not one, ever, because they couldn't get out of animal trials because they kept killing everything. Not only did they keep killing everything, but the more you gave, the more horrific it got. It was the cumulative negative effect. This was known. This was known immediately going in. All you have to do is type Moderna into a search engine, set the parameters to before, you know, before March of 2020, and just start reading and see what an absolute train wreck this is. Read about the guy who founded and is running Moderna, who is a confessed, who is a, who is, I'm going to say, not say confessed, but everybody is on the same page that the guy is a psychopath. He's not a scientist. His background was in um, computer software. And his whole idea was, well, I'm just going to set up a company to make, make these mRNA quote unquote vaccines that people will have to subscribe to in exactly the same way that they have to subscribe to software updates like Microsoft Office or Adobe Suite that you have to keep buying it over and over and upgrading over and over. And the guy, completely non-scientific, because when they would run a trial in Moderna and the results came back and that it didn't work, he would scream, yell, fly into a rage, and then fire the scientists. Talk about having absolutely no concept, understanding, or respect for the scientific method. You're, when you're doing scientific experiments, the assumption is, is that you, you are disproving your hypothesis. Disproval of the hypothesis is what you're trying to do. This guy, Ben Sell, who's, who's the head of Moderna, when, he, when, a, when a trial would be done and it was not successful, he would fire all of the people. So there was this massive uh, turnover of the scientists who were working at Moderna. This is all plastered all over the internet and it takes two seconds to figure this stuff out and and put two and two together and then you you look at wait a minute pfizer 
Pfizer stopped work on mRNA vaccines because they didn't work and they they said there's no future in it. And then within a matter of weeks, you've got Pfizer coming out with basically exactly the same stuff that Moderna's been working on unsuccessfully for almost 20 years. How did Pfizer get that technology in a matter of weeks? Now, technology that doesn't work, but how did they get it in a matter of a few weeks? They bought it from a well-connected Chinese person? Uh, yeah, probably. Exactly. Well said. Is that it, it became common knowledge among the upper echelon, the people who were running these companies and running the deep state, that we're doing this thing. We're going to start injecting the human population and we're going we're gonna to start working to chisel down and reduce the human surface population. And Pfizer said, by golly, by golly, by gosh, we are getting in on this. You are going to get us in on this like at, at about half. Okay, 50-50, us and Moderna. We're, we're basically going to split this, but there's no way that we Pfizer are not going to be in on this. That that tells you right there who's actually running the country, who's actually running the show, who's actually running the world. Well, at at the very top of that hierarchy, somewhere is is the C-suite of Pfizer, because they demanded to be in on that even though they hadn't been working on the technology and in fact they had even dropped it. So yeah, the, the stunning corruption. So back to Roberto Di Matei. This is all easily knowable. It's obvious what's going on, even from over in Italy. Don't tell me that there's some tremendous language barrier or anything. He probably speaks English. Anyway, you can, you can look all of this up and I'm, I'm pretty sure that Google has algorithms now that'll translate absolutely anything into Italian if you want. So has he repented of any of this? Has he gone to confession? If he has gone to confession, wouldn't part of the confession process for something like that be the public repudiation of the mistake that you made? Wouldn't you have to publicly being, you know, holding yourself out as a, as a thought leader and, you know, publishing at, in your capacity as some sort of a, high ranking, although I don't even know what rank he would be other than maybe an academic rank, or I don't know if he fancies himself some sort of aristocrat, but holding yourself out as a thought leader, wouldn't, wouldn't you have to publicly walk back the horrific mistake that you made in trying to morally browbeat people into, into injecting themselves and their children with, with poison, with a poison sterilant? Wouldn't you have to publicly say something you can't you can't just slither into the confessional and say, "Oh, yeah, I told I told the entire planet to inject themselves with poison and to sterilize and poison their children." Teehee, sorry, oopsie, oopsie, and then and then just slide out and that's it. I, I would think that justice demands, you know, and from a from a catechetical perspective, doesn't justice demand that you would have to do some sort of a public walking back of something like that? Um, and I've never seen one peep of any such thing out of Roberto Di Mattei or any, anyone else, any of these other people who were, who were agitating for this obvious, this obvious crime against humanity. It's, it's very, very strange, very, very strange to me. 
Well, and to go on with the analogy of Vatican II and the, the consequences following out from all of that, even those who either never really accepted it or found the, the, the traditional Latin mass and the traditional faith are now under the gun that, that uh, this is all going to be taken away by them, by somebody who uh, cosplays as a Pope. Uh, we're looking at the mm -hmm. food supply. Even if you rejected to, to accept the jab into your life, well, ho hold your beer for a minute because MRNA injected beef and other meat livestocks are coming down the pike this month or next month. Yeah. It's, um, it's a it's an interesting question. Um, I I personally don't know of anybody who would voluntarily inject that that garbage into their livestock, knowing what it is. I mean, we all know what it is. So the question would then be, who would be these cattlemen? And I guess there there are there are remnants. I mean, there are people. It is a demogra It is a cross section. Um, of course, naturally, the livestock industry tends to skew, or let me put it this way, the cattle industry tends to skew to the political right, of course. Uh, however, that doesn't help at all with pork production or poultry production, because that's all corporate, that's all vertically integrated. Hardly anyone anymore on the North American landmass has hogs that they like raise and slaughter and eat themselves. Um, it just, it's just almost completely gone as a, as an agricultural phenomenon in the small scale. Almost all pork is owned from conception to the grocery store counter by the same company, Tyson being one of the big ones. Um, JBL, Swift, you can, you can just, you know, run down a list of these names, and there aren't very many of them because they're massive, massive, massive corporations, and they're they own everything. So, and it's the same with with chicken. It's the same with poultry. Poultry's been vertically integrated like that for decades and decades and decades. The strength of the cattle industry, and what I taught for years and years and years, is what the cattle industry has going for it is that you cannot. Um, you cannot put thousands and thousands and thousands of head of cattle, you know, in one building under a roof. There's a, they tried to do that a little bit in Canada just because of the cold, they tried to do that, but it's not, it's not feasible. You need to have acreage and the cattle because they're, you know, they're ruminants, which hogs are not hogs are like us. They are monogastric omnivores. They're exactly like us. So um, cattle or not, they need grass, they need pasture for at least the beginning phase of their life. They have to be spread out. Um, they then get compactified into feed yards, um, but it's, it's just a different dynamic because you have to have them out on grass and because one of the things that makes cattle and, and ruminant animals, which cattle are really the only ones that we eat in North America because the other big ruminant animal that's, that's consumed in the world is sheep. And Americans just haven't, don't, Americans don't like lamb for whatever reason. Um, so there, there, there are some sheep in the U.S., but not many. Um, it's all about cattle and they can take just the, the raw cellulose of, of grass and turn it into a, a delicious porterhouse. I mean, it's one of the most amazing, miraculous 
transformation cycles in in the natural world engineered by God because he loves us. And here, take that grass that you can't, all of this grass that's growing all over the place that you can't eat. And here's this animal that'll turn it into just one of the most delicious things you could possibly imagine and do it extremely efficiently. And, and they're, they're, they're big and they can be dangerous, but they're mostly, mostly not dangerous. Uh, bison are dangerous, but domesticated cattle are, are generally speaking, pretty chillax. Yes, they can kill you, but it, it doesn't happen very often anymore, especially. Um, so yeah. And of course the powers that be want to go after this. And, but my question is, I mean, nobody I know would inject that, that garbage. It's like, okay, we know this is poison. We know this is sterilant. How how do you think that I'm going to be complicit in doing this? Uh, and a lot of those people were able to avoid it because they live in rural areas and there was never the kind of ridiculous, insane, you know, green pass, garbage crackdowns, uh, schools stayed open. Uh, certainly most people out in the rural areas had common sense and were not ever going to allow their children to be injected with that stuff. I don't know how they think they're going to accomplish this. Maybe it'll be, maybe they think they'll get it done through the pork and chicken and just, you know, people eat so much of that anyway. People eat, especially chicken, people eat so much chicken. Maybe they think they're going to do it through the chicken. But the other question I have for Nurse Claire and anybody in the listenership and anybody who's done any research or looked this up, what does the effect of cooking have on, um, Spike po- spike proteins, m- mRNA particles, whatever you want to call it. Does cooking does cooking break this down at all, or or does this or does this survive exposure to heat? It I I don't know about cooking, but I have seen um, I have seen some opinions in the medical community that the human digestion, the human gastrointestinal tract destroys it. So I don't know if that's true. (laughs) There there seems to be conflicting opinions on this right now that, you know, if these animals are injected um, and you eat that meat, your, your stomach takes care of that mRNA. Now, I don't know if that's true. I really, I'm, that is something that we'll have to, um, that's a topic we should approach maybe at a later date once a little more information comes out. Um, but my biggest advice for people right now is to find a local farmer. I mean, I don't buy yeah. meat in a store. I haven't for a long time. Um, you need to find a small family farm that you know and trust. You should know where your food is coming from, especially in this era. Um and make sure they don't drink Bud Light. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, summer is coming. Grow your own. Even if you're a person that lives in the city in a little apartment, maybe just get a window box, put some potting soil in it, and drop a few um, lettuce in there. It's so easy to grow. It's just be as self-sustaining as you can and avoid the stores. Um, there's a lot of resources online. And and I know, Super Nerd, you, I think, also listen to the Meat Mafia podcast from time to time and Texas Slim. These guys are good resources to help you find um, 
small family farms and beef suppliers that are going to avoid this mRNA nonsense is I mean, these guys are going to be the last holdout, but they're going to they're going to hold out as long as they can. Well, the meat mafia is primarily focused in Texas and um, shout out to the Texas cattle rancher. But um, that one of the premises there is and I I don't know if this is unique to Texas law or not. But if you are going straight from the ranch to if you're selling directly from the rancher to the consumer and it's all within the state of Texas, you can pretty much tell the FDA go pound sand um, that that's protected in law that you can just sell that way directly. I don't know if that is the the case in other states. Uh, if it is something yeah, I that don't you can know do, either. if it is something you, you can do, then yeah, by all means, um, go meet some farmers. And, and um, in, in terms of Anna saying, I don't know how they're going to enforce that, that uh, ranchers are going to have to inject their cattle. Well, one thought that came to mind is prohibit non-jabbed cattle and, and cattle that you can't prove was jabbed from even entering the market. Um, you know, threaten to pull the, the, the licensing of any slaughterhouses that aren't enforcing this. Don't accept it into the market. Then that raises the question. But then how, my question is, how do you prove that they were jabbed? How, how do you prove that? I mean... Run the RFID scanner over them? Well, are, but are you going to take blood tests of these animals and see if there's mRNA particles coursing through their bloodstreams? What, 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 is, what is to stop um, a cattleman from buying a, a bottle or a flask of, of the mRNA poison... And then just not injecting it in the cattle or squirting it out on the ground or, or anything like that. How, how are they going to prove that it was given to them in the first place? Do, do we even have the ability, can we look at blood, talking about the blood banking again, can we look at blood that's been donated and do a rapid test and see whether or not a rapid test, because that's the only thing that's feasible in terms of, of food production, um, and animal slaughter and all that. How do you do a rapid test to see if if mRNA particles are even in the animal? And the other thing that's interesting is with every other uh, product that is that is marketed to animals, including ivermectin. I believe if you look on your ivermectin um, for the for um, cattle and swine, there is a withdrawal period that you cannot give an animal legally, you cannot give it ivermectin within a certain time window before slaughter. And I want to say that's, I'm spitballing here. And again, I don't have my, I don't have my, my big bottles. I only have little bottles. Um, I only have them in front of me, but somebody look and look on your bottle of 1% livestock injectable and see what the time window is. I want to say two weeks, but it might be longer than that, that there is a government mandated window, a withdrawal window for all of these drugs. I got it right here. Okay. Can you see it? Yeah. Residue warning. Do not treat cattle within 35 days of slaughter because the withdrawal time and milk has not been established. Do not use in female dairy cattle of breeding age. Okay, so ivermectin, which is the safest drug in the world, I think we're, if it isn't, it's darn close. Um, They're saying 35-day withdrawal window. Oh, is there going to be a withdrawal window um, for these mRNA 
poisonous injections going into meat production animals? Is or is the FDA just going to say no? It's completely, it's completely safe. There's no reason to have any any withdrawal window. Well, it, there is for absolutely every other substance. So that's going to be a big right. tell. If this all starts happening and they say, oh, no, there's no there's no pre-slaughter withdrawal window on any of this. It's completely safe and effective. You will know for an absolute certainty. Remember, gift of the Holy Spirit from the sacrament of confirmation, the gift of counsel. You're going to be able to size this situation up quickly and accurately. We know in advance. We can see this coming. If they say, no, no slaughter withdrawal window, it's safe and effective. There's nothing to worry about. Then you know for a fact that they're attempting to get it into the human populace through the food supply, through the meat supply. So just something to be on the lookout for. Well, what would be the withdrawal window on DNA modification? If, the, yeah, if you exactly. can't undo that, then why even post a withdrawal window? It's... <laughs> it's for scientists to to address this, and there aren't any anymore. That's the thing. I I don't think the mRNA ever leaves, right? I mean, I don't. We know nanolipid particles are cumulative. I I don't think the mRNA ever exits the body either. So mm -hmm. a withdrawal window would be irrelevant because you're genetically modifying this animal permanently. Um, yeah, and. Also, I mean, we're talking about beef cattle, but also dairy cattle. Like, that's going to yeah. contaminate milk. Yeah. So, again, find a small family farm. I, I, that's my biggest piece of advice. We have to get and out from under FedGov. Yeah. And hope and pray that, you know, the, the human digestive tract and all of its... Um, hydrochloric acid glorious glorious hydrochloric acid is is will will take care of it but we don't know and we're not going to get any straight answers for a while we're not going to get any straight certainly right. any straight scientifically rigorous answers about anything going forward i was thinking the other day because i just got um i just posted on the blog um just a, a lovely 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 email just so warms my heart and nurse Clara and Dr. B you guys should be so proud too when we get anecdotes like this about um a lady emailed in and said my husband's been taking ivermectin daily for 16 months to um to mitigate uh rheumatoid arthritis and it works and there's no side effects and it just got me thinking what other what other things treatments for various and sundry conditions are being intentionally withheld from us by big pharma mm -hmm. and and the new world order i mean rheumatoid arthritis is just it's a curse it's an absolute scourge and here there's yeah. treatment for it and they won't let anybody have it go ahead it's demonstrable at this point that the medical industrial complex is not in it for healing. They're not in the game yep. to heal people. I'm sorry to say that because I'm part of that. I'm part of that complex by the nature of the work that I do. Um, and I do think that 
big pharma. I do think medicine, modern medicine, I guess, not necessarily big pharma, but I do think modern medicine has a place in our society for sure. And we are sure. able to help some people. Um, but it's largely the focus has shifted away from cure into maintenance and maintaining people yep. with these chronic illnesses and in putting them on medications that then spawn a new illness or a new set of issues and then yep. require another medication to treat that. And we, we, I mean, I see patients who are on meds to treat the side effects of their meds. It's nuts. Yep. I mean, you just chase yep. your tail. Um, yep. And then certainly, you know, now as we <laughs> move into this I don't even know what to call it. Um, this new trend of transgender, gender affirming, I guess is what it's known as in the medical community, gender affirming care. Um, I mean, we're totally not in this to heal people. I'm sorry. No, oh, no. Oh, no. The, the healing, the healing for those people is Inst in being institutionalized for the ones who are absolutely determined to, to mutilate themselves. Um, we need to, one of the first things that's going to have to happen after the war is that we're going to have to build very, very large mental hospitals, inpatient mental hospitals and insane asylums. Um, it's one of the, one of the tragedies of the 20th century is that the infiltrators intentionally said we are not going to treat any mental illness anymore. We're just going to send these people back in. They called it mainstreaming when we were little kids. Do you remember having, you yep. know, kids with all kinds of mental problems ranging from, you know, legit retardation through to all of, all of your behavioral problems and all that, instead of getting them out and getting them the treatment that they needed they were mainstreamed into our classrooms when we were kids. So that, that started in the late seventies and, and early eighties. And now it's to the point where, you know, some kid announces that he thinks he's a, he's a spring onion and everybody's going along with this, the glorification, the encouragement of just severe mental illness. And also remember all these homeless people that are cropping up all over the place. And they're everywhere. They're in every major city. There are homeless camps now in every major city. The vast, 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 vast majority of these of those people are mentally ill. And then most of those are then also using drugs, certainly, certainly. Right. But the percentage of those people who are just on drugs but are completely mentally sound otherwise if they could ju just get off of drugs that percentage is very small. Almost all those people are severely mentally ill. And of course, we're not allowed, you're not allowed to treat anybody. You're not allowed to have insane asylums, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one of the big projects. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Who, whose purview is care of the mentally ill, especially under in, let me give you a hint, <laughs> Christian society, whose purview was that under and should it be under and God willing, it will be under again. It's the domain of the church to take care of those people. 
that's what a lot of your almsgiving in church, that's what that should be going to. Um, paying for hospitals, paying for mental health facilities, and of course paying for, you know, normal hospitals. And again, the remnants of this are all over the place in front of us. The fact that almost every hospital still in this country begins with the word saint um, should tell you what what the paradigm was just a generation or two ago. It was the per it was under the purview of the church to be providing these things and to be providing health care, mental health care, um, care for even care for addicts, alcoholics, bum. They used to call them drunks and bums, and the church would help people with that. And of course, now the church being infiltrated has completely abdicated all that, and all of that healthcare stuff has now been turned into a for-profit middleman situation. Where, for example, where I grew up, the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth, who are a multi-multi-multi-billion-dollar corporation with a Fitch bond rating and the whole nine, are stand are middlemen for-profit, standing between insurance companies and the government. And it's just a great big, huge money-moving thing. And the the church is now getting its cut of this action. And there is precious little Christian charity or corporal works of mercy going on in these situations. So that's all going to be fixed. But it's going to, as with all of this stuff, it's going to require now. We've let it go. It's too far gone. It can't be walked back. There has to be a complete collapse and then rebuild from the ground up. And that's what we're talking about. You're going to have to be ready to deal with, go for, go with, and your children are going to have to be prepared for this. And I just want to circle back very, very quickly and reiterate something that I've said on the podcast before, but it it's very germane to what we were just talking about with regards to livestock and all that. One of the best skills that a young man can learn right now is how to slaughter and process animals, how to slaughter cattle, how to slaughter hogs, even how to slaughter poultry. Um, you have to learn this from somebody. It's an apprentice type situation, but good grief. A, a, a young man who has the ability, the skill set to do that, when you're talking about a collapse situation, um, he's going he's gonna to run the table, man. The, just being able to kill and process a bovine will make him the king of his little fiefdom wherever he is. How does one learn how to do that? Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned that it's typically through an apprenticeship, but is there no kind of tech school or votech that could help with that? Um, they teach, there are um, slaughtering and processing classes at, like at K-State. There were, there was a, what did they call it? Meat, meat processing or something. And yeah, and they killed cattle in, in the big um, animal science complex where we all went to class and then there was arena and there was a meat science laboratory and then there were there were a couple different abattoirs there was one for cattle and one for one for hogs and sheep and sheep um we would look at sheep carcasses however if you stop and think about it um who's working in all of these kill plants well it's not it's not the white boys that i was going to k-state with the people who are doing, who are actually doing all this, I've, I toured a couple of big kill plants, and one was in Nebraska and one was in Kansas. And at that time, everybody working in those plants was Mexican. It was all Mexicans. 
okay, so how, how did that Mexican dude learn how to, you know, wield that knife? And man, those guys are highly skilled. How did he learn how to do that? He didn't learn how to do it at a land-grant university. He was clearly on the job trained by somebody else who knew how to do it. And he probably worked his way up, um, worked his way up the, the, the chain, as it were, working at a slaughter plant. He first started doing something simpler, and then he was apprenticed in and taught how to do this and such thing. And then eventually he was apprenticed in to where he was doing the actual, you know, the actual slaughter of the animal. Or, um, in fact, the two guys, I think the two guys they said that were paid the most was the guy who actually cut the jugular of the animal. And then the, the other guy who maybe made even more than him per hour and had just total seniority and could come and go as he wanted and got whatever he wanted from, from the corporation was the guy who could cut ribeyes out of, out of a side, like in one fell swoop with the perfect amount of trim because it has to be done by hand, or it, it did have to be done by hand 20, 25 years ago still. Maybe they have, maybe that's all computerized now. Maybe they have cameras that can, that can cut ribeyes out. But what I saw was, I remember on the tour, the, you know, the white guy manager who was giving the tour of the plant said, that dude right there, he, he, he makes more than me or something like that. He makes more than me and he can, he can declare that he's going on a four month vacation um, with no notice. And we just say, yes, sir. We hope, we hope you have a wonderful time and we will be happy to see you when you get back because he was that valuable just from the skill. So you'd have to make friends with uh, somebody who has a locker plant you'd have to make friends with somebody who already knows how to do this. And obviously the number of people who are left in the North American landmass who own an abattoir and can dress out an entire, an entire bovine or an entire hog, those numbers are dwindling. So it's urgent that young men, and this is not women's work. This is, this is for young men, young, because you need to be, physically strong in the upper body to be doing a lot of this. This is man's work. It's very important that men, young men right now, learn these skills and then, you know, just kind of keep it up and have it, have it under your belt, so to speak. And if the proverbial poo hits the fan, then like I said, you're going to, you're going to be running the table if you can, if you can dress out an animal. And now we get to intermission. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Oh, let's switch gears. You know what's interesting? What I sent you about, because um, I know you guys sometimes, I don't know if you do anymore, but sometimes you listen to Joe Rogan. And 
I don't know about you guys, but if when you open YouTube and it has the little um, suggestions and stuff that pops up, one of the things that just keeps constantly popping up in my YouTube interface are these micro clips of the Joe Rogan show. And he's just really, really into the question of um, like the Egyptian pyramids and ancient civilizations and Apparently, he dedicates a lot of time to this. And so I've watched a fair amount of these little Joe Rogan microclips about, you know, he's got these really fascinating uh, guests on who are, you know, PhD archaeologists dedicated and work their whole lives researching in Egypt, in um in the Americas and, you know, down in, in Mexico, Central America, South America, where there are, you know, pyramids from those other civilizations that are down there and researching all of this. And the conclusions that these people have come to is that the older something is, the older the pyramids, the older the Egyptian stuff is, the older something is, the more technologically advanced it is to the point that they're coming to the conclusion that it's possible or that they're theorizing that human beings were massively intelligent and were had technology that we can't even imagine because they can't figure out how, to this day nobody can figure out how the pyramids in Egypt were built nobody can figure out you know all of this stuff um, and they're find they're finding artifacts and like um, looking at how granite was um, quarried cut um, how how tubes and 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 joinery and stuff was done with granite that we that hum humans today have only had the technology the kind of you know the kind of drills and the kind of um, circular saws and and machinery to be able to do the kind of precision 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 work on granite for example um that the egyptians were doing and the older the stuff is the more intelligent it seems that the people were and so i'm watching this and i'm and i'm thinking okay are are they going to make the connection? Are they going to realize that what they're arguing is exactly the Genesis narrative? That here, here's people, people are created. The first people, Adam and Eve, are genetically quote unquote perfect. They're the, you know, they're the baseline. Here they are, God made them. Um, there's the fall. And so then these, they must have been, just massively intelligent and it's just it just went down 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 but still they were still only a relatively very few generations away from the perfect baseline and then then something happened and this is what you know freaks joe rogan and all of his guests out some man something happened and there were all these people and they were incredibly intelligent and then just instantly it was all gone it was all destroyed and i'm just sitting here waiting for them to make the connection that they've they've come to the genesis narrative creation 
then through to Noah, the descent of man through to Noah, and then the flood, and then and then the fact that are they is the light bulb going to go go on over their head, and are are they going to realize and come to grips with the fact that humanity, ever since in total, is getting dumber and dumber and dumber. People are getting dumber and dumber and dumber. And if you don't, and tell me if I'm off base here, but doesn't don't just looking around, don't you just perceive that even in our lifetimes, and we're all about the same age, we're all in our mid-40s, we can see clearly that people are getting dumber. Just in, a, in I mean, in, in four, four decades, that's nothing historically. And we can see it. People are getting dumber and dumber and dumber. And you say, well, Anne, how do you explain all of this technology and all of this advancement in technology? Um, I attribute some of it to the supernatural. God wanted people to be able to communicate and do all this as we go into the end times or this, this state of intense um, Luciferian and demonic oppression which was prophesied and foretold and which Pope Leo XIII heard being, being discussed that it was going to happen in that conversation, that conversation that he heard in that miraculous, um, not locution, but what is it called when, when um, somebody miraculously hears something? I would have said locution, honestly, because... Is it, it locution? Well, it's, yeah. not, it's not a vision, but it, it's just um, no. it's something spoken yeah, to them. He, yeah, he just he just heard he heard our lord and lucifer having this back and forth and it was all prophesied okay and so i think that the supernatural intervention came so that we could we could deal with this i've said before i think that the supernatural one of the big reasons why we have the supernatural intervention in terms of the extreme advance in technology in the past hundred years was that so we could know that anti-pope Bergoglio was anti-pope Bergoglio and he couldn't hide behind the Vatican walls. I mean, everything this guy says and does goes all over the world instantly. And what a, what a great blessing and gift that is. But the reason that all of this technological advance is happening is because remember, there are now 8 billion people on the planet. As opposed to, I, I, I was looking up figures for um, the human population. It, it only, we only hit a billion people on Earth in or, or around the year 1800. In the year 1500, there were only about 500 million people total on the entire planet. There's now 8 billion people. So you have a bigger pool. It's like um, when people explain about um, India, the nation of India, which somebody told me, I don't know if this is true, that India just surpassed China as the highest population country on earth. That they're now both at, they're neck and neck at 1.4 billion and that India has just surpassed China. And they say, well, look, the deal with India is because Americans have this perception that all Indians are, you know, medical doctors or, you know, massively high level computer technicians or computer scientists. And they say, no, 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 no. There's lots and lots and lots of really stupid people in India, too. 
the issue is, is that there's just so many of us, there's so many Indians that we have this ability to, out of this massive population, pluck out the ones who are hyper competent and then they end up going to Harvard Medical School or, or Stanford or whatever it is. The same thing with the Chinese too. They have the spectrum of intelligence. They have the same spectrum of intelligence. It's just that there's so many of them that it, there's this appearance that they're all that they're all super duper smart because we only see the ones that end up at Stanford. Um, so it's, it's because there's 8 billion people on earth that you're able to have a few of these that do are that are, you know, two, three, four standard deviations forward on the IQ bell curve and get things done. Um, whereas before, the human population, the global human population was much, 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 much lower, but everybody was far more intelligent on average. The, I mean, the, just the competence, the day-to-day -day competence of people 250 years ago is just orders of magnitude above the day-to-day -day competence of people today. And we all, I think probably everybody listening to this podcast acknowledges that if the electricity were to legit go out, if there were to be an EMP or one of those solar flare situations or whatever, and if the electricity went out, that most, probably more than half of the people on earth would be dead within pretty, with, within a relatively short amount of time. And by that, I mean, you know, a matter of months. Yeah, there have been government studies on this exact topic in the United States alone. If the power went out for a year, we would lose at least 90 percent of our population. Yep. Oh, I believe it. Those people are just helpless. They're helpless. We know, you know, Nurse Claire was was encouraging everybody. And this is absolutely true to look at growing your own food, D you know, do anything to get get some tomatoes going, get some get some zucchini going, something, anything. And I don't, I don't think most people today could do that. I really don't think they could. They can't come up with solutions. We're just riding on the coattails of that fourth standard deviation IQ, hyper-competent people who are, just, who are just statistically popping up out of this massive, massive population that we have. Um, and so I think that's what's happening. I absolutely think that people are getting dumber and dumber and dumber. And that, um, yeah, I think that the, it's possible that the people who were living in the pre-Noaic uh, Diluvian era were extraordinarily intelligent. In fact, I think a lot of us would probably take one look at them and they were, and, and consider them to be like almost superhuman incredibly smart, incredibly physically robust. The, look, at, look at the narrative in Genesis about how long these people lived and how long these generations were. And, and, it, and that's, people, that's a variable I, want, I wanted to get at because you talk about how people are either, either dumber now than they used to be. But if somebody has been, let's say, in the cattle industry for six weeks, what, how much do they know? And if they've been in the cattle right. decade for six decades, I think yeah. they would probably know a lot more. How about if they've been in the cattle industry for six centuries? Because that's what the life used to be. 
And when you talk about people being smarter then, um, is it actually that they're smarter or they've had more time to accumulate experience to perform experiment or to, to do experiments to figure out, you know, what, what materials work for others. And they're also, um, able to talk to somebody who had 400 years head start on them and compare notes and learn from them. That's, that's setting exactly. aside also that they, for, for over a thousand years or for a thousand years, you had access to university of Adam and he had infused knowledge and could tell, teach people, you know, what, you know, how do you right. make concrete that, that cures underwater? And, and he would know this just right off the top of his head because God put it yeah. there. In the fall, um, Adam and Eve, they didn't lose their infused knowledge, did they? No, and, and this was transmitted on through the generations where the real right. the real hammer blow hit is when the human population was reduced back down to seven. How much did Noah yep. know about all of these things? I mean, apparently he knew a lot about carpentry and, and seamanship. But what else? We lost a lot of lost we lost a lot of human knowledge. Uh, that was one of the punishments, yep. obviously, of, of the flood. That's that might be a good show title. How much did Noah know? I like that alliteration there. That's pretty cool. Well, and if you have any doubt that people are dumber today, have you seen the video clip of John Fetterman leading his Senate committee, chair, chairing his Senate committee? I mean, it's, I can only watch it for a few seconds. Yeah, it's appalling yeah. what passes for a sitting member of the United States Senate. And at least, I mean, he has the excuse of brain injury, doesn't he? At least he has the excuse of brain injury. Uh, yeah, but listening to him, he doesn't sound like brain injury. He just sounds, I don't know, I don't want to be rude, but he just sounds not smart. And he's a huge stoner. Yeah. I mean, he had some 420 at 420 thing the other day, encouraging, you know, drug use. And it's Ugh. just... uh it's gross. It's really gross. And to think 25 or 30 years ago, you would have never seen this in the, the U.S. Senate. So, yeah, yep. here we are. I mean, I mean there are it. people today who don't who don't have any living memory of what it's like for there to be like pillars of the community. The reason why, if you go to any any town in middle America and drive down, you'll find there's a main street that has all of the big houses. And who lived in the big houses? The judge, you know, the doctor, the lawyer. There were pillars in the community. There were people of intelligence and of gravitas. And it's strange. And of virtue. I, mm -hmm. And of virtue. And of virtue. Well said. And I think there are a lot of people today have no living memory of what that's like because obviously national politics is just it's it's a clown show it's a den of thieves and corruption and it's a punchline it's an absolute punchline there's nobody respectable the last one who even the last president uh, putative president of the united states who even remotely projected any sort of a facade of respectability, gravitas, competence. And I know a lot of people are going to blanch when I say this, but remember, I'm qualifying this by saying just projecting a facade was George W. Bush. Ever since then, it's just been, it's, it's all just a clown show. You look at it and it's... 
oh, oh my goodness, who, and, and it, it leads to the question, who is actually running the world? Because you could, you could fall for the notion that George W. Bush was actually, you know, making decisions. Um, to, a, some, to some extent, also the Clintons, that the Clintons were making decisions and doing things. Certainly Reagan before that. Um, George H.W. Bush, yeah, I mean, he, he actually was because he was Mr. CIA and all that. We've talked about that. But there was still, there was still a sense that there were grown-up adult men doing things and making decisions. And with the advent of Obama, that's, that just disappeared. Absolutely gone. Completely gone. And so now, I mean, Obama was 2008. Time is, time flies when you're having fun. That, that was all 15 years ago, guys. So you're getting rapidly, you're, you're just, there's a generation and a half that has no living memory of anybody even remotely projecting any sort of seriousness, gravitas, comp, competence, virtue, anything like that at the head of society. It's, um, man, Roman Empire stuff, man, late Roman Empire, except way worse, way, way, way worse. Well, George W. Bush, that was still black and white television, right? <laughs> it was tele telephones connected to the wall <laughs> things like that remember that <laughs> telephones were the concept of, or the term hang up actually literally meant to hang up the phone yes you hung up the receiver there's a, there's a video talking about videos on youtube there's a video going around of their i don't know they look like they're 13 or 14 year old kids and they've got a finger dial rotary telephone in front of them they have absolutely no idea what it is and especially no idea how to dial it. It's amazing. Goodness, I must be old because I remember those. And I also remember when getting a push button phone was like, you made mm -hmm. it. You made it in the world yeah. if you had a push button phone. Yep. Yep. I remember the first phone in my house when I was born. It was a hang hanging up on the kitchen wall one of those it wasn't one of the ones that sat on a desktop it hung on the kitchen wall and it was a it was a rotary dial yep with bakelite yep. yellow uh, cladding in it um yeah it was yes how did you know it was yellow You're because they all were right. that's that's what southwestern yep. bell made ah okay <laughs> Remember, these are the days when the phone company also was the only source for your equipment. That was a big revelation when yeah. you could buy a 2500 set from just about anyone who made them. Uh, previous to that, you had to buy it from AT&T. Yeah, in fact, you leased them. And it was on your bill every month as part of the lease. And it was, I don't know what it was. If it was, it was probably, I bet it was less than a dollar a month. It was probably like 75 cents a month or something. And those things were well built too. I mean, if an intruder came into your yeah. house, you could beat them to death and then call the cops to come get the body. With, with the thing that you just beat them to death with. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yep. Yep. Talk about millennials and or, or young kids now and, and looking at older technology. It reminds me of something. I don't know if this is true, but it sounds good enough to be true. Uh, some... Somebody who's in, in programming, I forget what blog I saw this on, uh, showed his kid a three and a half inch floppy disk. And the, the response was, oh, somebody 3D printed a save icon. <laughs> oh, 
that's good. That's fantastic. Yep. We're about we're about to that point. Yeah, there's there's this total disconnect and just within our living memory about what what things used to be. And see, this this goes back to what we were just talking about. In the modern world, every everything is forgotten. Whereas we were just talking about how you know back Adam and Eve to Noah with these huge long lifespans, information was accumulated and then passed on. So that the the, the overall library, if you if you'll allow the word, the overall library of human skill and knowledge was constantly growing and growing and growing, and in a and certainly on the on the micro level, on the individual level today, that that amount of information is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So kids today have not read any of the classics. Kids today don't know history. Kids today. Any technology that is outside of their living memory is completely not comprehended, can't be referenced, can't go back and reference any of it. So it's like the the bubble of human knowledge is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And we're only writing, the only thing, the only coattails we're writing is the size of the population and of course, the size of the population is about to plummet. And that I'm talking about this even notwithstanding the sterile death injections that they've, they've pumped into over 5 billion people now. I'm talking about just the contraception and the fall off in the, you know, voluntar- in the voluntary fertility rate, where in most places in the post-Christian West, if you just look at the um, at the Christian non-migrant people who are there, their birth rate is well under two. And so that means that there's going to be a massive fall off sooner rather than later of the numbers of the human population. Okay, so now everybody's stupid and getting stupider and stupider. And you don't have the massive 8 billion population where you can go pluck out the fourth standard deviation and have those people develop your technology for you. There's not going to be anybody left. Okay, let's say we do go back to 500 million total on the planet. Who's, who's going to be the brain surgeon? Who's going to, who's going to be the actual genuine cancer researcher, you know, because it's, you're just not going to have the population base to have these things. Maybe that's why the 500 million are the already selected league of the very special. Oh, and the very, the league of the very special it's, it's way less than 500 million. It's um, it's the, and this is the argument that a lot of people make. They say, you know, people like us who are talking about this, this obvious plan for a massive global population reduction, they're saying you're 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 nuts because the people who are executing it, they're not going to be able to have any of the goods and services that they want, and they're not going to be able to have the lifestyle they want if there isn't population there to support all of that and all of that infrastructure. And my answer to that is is that th- one, they're not intelligent enough to think that far forward. All they're thinking is, is there's too many people. There's too many people. We have to save, you know, we have to save the, 
the the water smelt and you know we have to completely decimate the human population to save the planet or whatever it is and then remember this is our we have this conversation almost every podcast you got to pull your focus back folks who is the driver of all of this is it bill gates ultimately no is it klaus schwab ultimately no it isn't the driver in all this ultimately is satan and yes he wants us all dead and he wants everybody starving and he's going to be laughing the hardest at the bill gates and at the klaus schwabs and at the very special elite um however many thousand of them there are who think that they're going to be living in some sort of a paradise when in fact they're going to be they're going to be suffering every bit as much as everybody else if they if they actually bring to fruition their plan to eliminate the the human population to provide the goods and ser- goods and services that they need this is satan's agenda he wants everybody dead and in hell so yes you if you're not looking at it if you're not looking at it by pulling that focus back sufficiently far you're going to miss that and you're going to and then you're going to make the incorrect conclusion that um that no there is no conspiracy theory because it doesn't make any sense to kill everybody because then you'd be you'd be sawing off the branch that you're sitting on but satan is absolutely content to have humanity including the upper echelon elite saw the branch that they're sitting that they're sitting upon off he's that's what he's gunning for well he's not motivated by virtue so we can't think of it in those terms um or exactly what what, yeah. what counts as rational to us so he's motivated by pure spite and pure spite is by definition irrational well, normally I'd be saying at an hour and 23, we're about halfway in, but, uh, I can hear, <laughs> I can hear from your audio and that your batteries and your, your, your wireless devices are, are running low. And I don't, I don't remember oh. off the top of my head, um, what, what the, uh, endurance on that is. So perhaps we call it here and do a, go do a wrap up and, uh, have a second podcast in less than a month or even in less than a week. In less than a month. Imagine that. Yes. Let's do that. That's a great idea. Okay, well, unless Nurse Claire has anything else she wants to uh, drop in real quick. Uh, I mean, I could open a big can of worms, but if if Anne doesn't have battery, then it's useless. So we should deconstruct the trans thing um, in another podcast, I think. It's not like they're going to go away. So, yeah, I think we've got a little yeah, bit of time. Yeah, I think they're going to go away in yeah, 10 days. No. <laughs> as much as we hope and pray okay. that they will, I don't think they will. All right. So the email address for the podcast, where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, good news items for wrapping up the podcast, or just whatever you want to send. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors. And there's at least one mass, traditional Latin uh, mass set every single day for all the benefactors. Plus everybody who died in the previous week, there's a traditional Catholic Latin requiem mass set for them. Um, I didn't uh, put together a list of who died since the last time we did a podcast, but there have been quite a few. The, I think just numbers alone um, uh, suggest that. And someday that's going to be you and me and everyone listening and or downloading or making the device that you're listing it on. Um, don't forget to pray for the priests. Uh, with, without them, our chances of, sal- of salvation drop to pretty small. And think about that with, with, with regard to the, the population thinning that is planned by them. They want to wipe out 100% of the priests in the process. I don't think they're going to be able to do yeah. it. And I, by saying I don't think, I know they're not going to because that would be um, 
I think it's already prophesied that there will be priests until literally the end days. And of course, Elias and Enoch will be there at the end as well. Not that they're priests, but um, we're, we're going to have the priests with us. But the question is, how many will there be and how easily will, will, will we be able to get to the sacraments? So please pray for the priests. Yeah. Please pray that we'll be able to find them uh, when we need them as well. And also don't forget that the podcast has a patron. Uh, don't forget to send your prayers to St. Tiny Princess. I think we had some uh, feedback in the last week of, of some interventions there, or am I thinking of something else in my personal life? Um, if there were, I didn't see it. So did you get, did you get emails? I can't. Okay. I, I remember the source now and I can't talk about it, but uh, somebody, yeah, there a, a very, shall we say challenging family situation. And uh, St. Tammy princess uh, has, uh, she's being credited with a massive breakthrough in that respect. So, um, wow. So I can't go into any more detail than that, but uh, yes, she's definitely hard at work for those who call on her. So don't don't uh, neglect to call on her. The Barnhart Podcast is a value for value podcast. If you got some uh, value out of this, whether it's entertainment, education, preparation for what's coming ahead, uh, please consider returning some value. And you can do that at supernerdmedia.com, or at least you can see how to do that at supernerdmedia.com. And since the last podcast, I'd like to recognize a few donors. Via the mailbox, Rick, who says, great podcast as always, which been a little while, so awesome. Uh, Steven, thank you very much. And Eileen, James, who sent a really nice Easter card as well. So thank you very much for that. And uh, via Amazon, Marion says, may you and your family have a blessed and grace-filled Holy Week and Easter season. It's been a few weeks now. We've, like I said, it's been a while. And also St. Tiny Princess, Aurora Pernobis. And that, that pretty much wraps up. Uh, my side of it here, um, and you still have the Matthew seventeen twenty you're doing? Absolutely. Every single day, pray without ceasing, fourfold intention that um, Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and that the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope from April 2005 until his death on December 31st, 2022, and for the Petrine Sea in and of itself, that if it's God's will, that it be filled and for its integrity and its strength, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the, the beatific vision and for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict Ratzinger. Nothing less will do. Our Lady of Copacabana, slayer of the Taco Mama demon, pray for us. Amen. And on behalf of Nurse Claire, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. I am a chick, so shrillness, shrillness happens. Shrillness happens.